Um, it's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 29th of July, as it is my co-host over at SBS HQ. Welcome to you, Nick Stoll, aka Stolich. Great to see you. How are you, mate? I'm very good. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm very excited to catch up with Zrilla again. Oh, the legendary DZ. We are absolutely delighted that David's really trauma soccer and a beloved figure at SBS uh, could be here with us today, all the way from the city of Chicago, Zdril. We can't tell you how happy we are to see you. It's always a delight. You're such a, a wonderful friend of ours. And, and to see you doing such great things over at Chicago Fire FC, it's just been a really proud moment for everyone that knows you personally. But for those of you that have, you know, followed Zdril's career as well, it's a really nice, um, nice opportunity to, to kind of catch up with him now. And, and hear about how well he's doing. But tell us, Drill, how are you? How are things in Chicago? Obviously, the situation relative to the pandemic is different from country to country. Obviously, here in Australia, we're dealing with a massive breakout of a second wave of COVID-19 in Victoria. But what are things like over in Chicago? Well, firstly, guys, thanks for the intro. I mean, <laughs> I do miss you guys as well. It's um, it's a big change. I know it's it's amazing how things can move along and, and life changes, but uh, we're all too aware of that now with what's going on. So in Chicago, uh, look, it's very similar um, situation to what's happening and what I'm what I'm reading and hearing from you guys um, back home. Um, every state here is something is different depending on on who's governing, and so there's different rules for different states. As we've also had outbreaks in different areas. Um, in Chicago, it's not too bad at the moment, but uh, um, you know, every day it's a, it's a sort of changing um, um, view on what's happening. Uh, we were just in Orlando with this uh, the MLS MLS is uh, back tournament, so we've just got back a few days ago. Uh, everything seems to be back to normal, but we have to now go through the process of retesting again, going back to a new protocol in training in market, what's, which is what they call in your hometown. Um, so we're going through that process now. We got tested again today. Hopefully then we start training again tomorrow and then we go through the whole process again. And then when that tournament in Orlando is finished, hopefully we start or we continue then playing games. What that looks like is not um, determined yet because it's sort of a moving process. What about the city itself, though? Like just getting around, you know, are you able to go to cafes? Do you, you know, obviously do your groceries and things like that, but has it gotten back to normal life somewhat? Yeah, there's still restrictions, but it's 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 definitely uh, more back to normal than it, than it was. I mean, when when things were in lockdown and and as they were slowly uh, reopening, you know, there were there were a lot of restrictions in in place. You couldn't really go anywhere you had to really be careful what you did uh, where you go um, wearing masks all that kind of thing uh, now you still have to wear masks wherever you go especially in stores and, and everything like that but you can go to a restaurant and then uh, most of the outdoor places um, uh, it's quite flexible but you you have to sort of wear a mask when you're going to get seated then you can take your mask off but you still have to just um, you know respect all the social distancing and all that kind of stuff so um, you know, it's an eye opener for everybody. It's very similar. It's interesting hearing, you know, every country how they do it. Also, all the states are quite different here in America as well. So, you know, I think we're all going through a very unique time.
Um, I want to give a shout out to everyone tuning in today before I defer over to you, Stolich. I'm um, great to have our regulars. You are joining us every week and they are none other than Santino Mamone. Hi all from Geelong. Great to see you and hear from you, Santino. Ivan Sragan, great to see you all and welcome back as Driller. Yes, we couldn't agree more. Um, a few questions as well already coming through. It's great to see some engagement with um, with Drill already. Cameron Hazelwood, how does the youth system in the US compare versus Australia? Loaded question already straight off the bat, but thanks for that one, Cameron. What do you think, Drill? Have you have you had much of a view of the youth system over there? Uh, a little bit. I mean, um, we it's a, it's the problem here in America is that it's such a, a big country. Um, the distances uh, to travel to get any sort of competition um, is quite difficult. So that that puts a sort of a strain on the on the ecosystem here and how they can actually then integrate all the different uh, markets together. So there's a little bit of a, um, a process in, in getting that and linking it with the MLS. Uh, so that's what they're going through uh, right now. So it's not unique what's happening to us in, in, in Australia. It's, you know, we've spoken about it at length, but uh, definitely the pathways are not um, um, strong enough and not secure enough to, to allow talent to, to be able to go from from young ages through all the way up and hopefully into an A-League and then be able to produce players to go overseas and play for the Socceroos. So that's the problem we have at home. We, you know, there's many different reasons for that, but the pathway uh, and all the, you know, the different federations and all these kind of things that we've been talking about isn't, isn't um, secure enough yet. The process isn't there and um, there's many, many different uh, uh, problems, but here, it's also a process that they're, but they are working on a, on a new system and trying to integrate everything together. But the main problem is the distance between, um, you know, anywhere you go here, that's a, it's a five hour flight from here over to, or four mm -hmm. hours over to the other side of the country. Um, you know, you've got to fly everywhere just to play games. There's no like short trips kind of thing where you can go a road trip. Um, so then how do you link all the, all these young players together? Then there's a cost involved. Um, and then it's also the coaching, the coaches, how do they get around the country to see all these players? Um, there's a lot of different problems because of the size of the country. So that's the issue they're facing here. Mm. Um, A-League Meme, shout out to you guys. Great to have your company here today. Uh, they wrote to us about three hours ago, does Driller still have connections at the Red Bull group to convince them to buy out an A-League club? <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely still have the connections uh, whether <laughs> whether they're interested in, in coming to the A-League I'm not so sure I think um, you know they've got obviously the Le Leipzig that's doing fantastic Red Bull Salzburg that's winning the, um, the league every year doing well in Champions League now uh, last year was an um, indication of that um, Red Bull uh, New York which has been there for many years and um, you know it's a, it's, it's a powerful franchise and then obviously you've got Brazil as well um, which is which is now building nicely and and will will soon be producing players and you'll see you'll see players coming out of Brazil going to either Salzburg um, or Leipzig or even New York. And one more question before it's off to you, uh, Stolich. Uh, Rory Bunk wrote in via Twitter. Uh, thanks for your question, Rory. He said, "How is he enjoying Chicago? It's such a great city." It really is. You know. You know. Um, before I came here. Uh, you know, I knew about the Chicago Bulls, and I really followed them growing up. So it was a, it was um, it was it's quite amazing to watch um, the documentary, The Last Dance, while we were here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I didn't really know too much about the city and uh, and and many people told me that's a beautiful city it's uh you know it's amazing so you know, did a bit of research but when I actually came here really really um, beautiful city it's got a it's got a Lake Michigan that's that's um, that basically borders the city then you've got uh, uh, the Chicago River that that goes through the city and then you've got all these all these uh, bridges that that open and close when boats go through it's and there's many many of them so it's so so nice especially in summer now when there's a lot of people walking down down the river walk and uh, um, and, and down to the lake and there's many open parks so it's a very very beautiful city and um, as soon as I came into the city um, yeah there you go how long it took me to take that because I had it on that uh, what do you call it? took me about 15 minutes for <laughs> I nearly dropped the <laughs> Got the phone, but uh, that was amazing. Those, um, but that's uh, from your apartment. That's well, it's from the building up the top. You went up the top. There's sort of like got a balcony up there, and I took it from from up there. And um, yeah, so those those bridges open and close, and then the trains go across them as well. Um, and there's many of those bridges in the background. You can see there's another one, two, three, four, five bridges there. So um, I don't know about twenty of those all along um, that river. So it's quite amazing, but uh, beautiful. Um, just to just to get up and go there, especially when it's nice weather. It's uh, very uh, picturesque. Um, so I've really enjoyed coming here, and um, it's been a been a great choice. Um, obviously, the way it all happened was quite amazing, but it's uh, definitely um, a great move to come here. Stolich. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, with Red Bull, you know, your connections, I thought Tamarama Red Bulls, the first international uh, beach football team, would be uh, set up already, but... It's always uh, a possibility. I've <laughs> <laughs> um, always got beach soccer uh, in the background. There's, a, there's a few beach soccer questions coming. What's that? You play? Oh, you, got you play in Chicago? Yeah, they're having a little, um, for the, the complex that we had in Orlando um, in the bubble that they called it was basically in Disneyland. So we were in, um, there were two resorts that were connected to each other. And all the teams okay. had their own floor in, in one of those resorts, but we weren't allowed out, out of the complex. But it was a large complex, so it was, it was, it was fine. You know, they had uh, an outdoor pool area with, with many different pools, but then they also had a little beach there with uh, volleyball uh, courts there. So obviously I converted it into a little beach soccer. We are using the deck chairs and made a little court. Uh, I should have <laughs> sent you that photo, but, yeah, never, never <laughs> wait for an opportunity to get on the sand if there's sand around. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you about that tournament uh, in Orlando, you know, the MLS yeah. is back tournament. Uh, you were in the bubble. That must have been kind of a very unique experience. And we know like the NBA players are now doing that as well. Can you just like tell us what was that like? You know, how long were you there for? What were the positives? What were the, the challenges? Uh, well, the positive was certainly that we were able to get up and running, running and start playing playing football um and for for many many weeks that didn't really seem likely because you know you just turn on the news and there's always a different situation and something's happening so it, it was it was getting crazy there for a while so for us to go down there and it was a big it was a big ask i mean the complex down there is unbelievable uh, the disneyland complex we weren't able to go to the the theme parks that were opening towards the back end um like a like a couple of weeks ago they started opening but we didn't see any of that we were basically in our compound like i just and then we would commute five to ten minutes on buses so each team had two buses so we could each have our own seat and seat next to us so you know we just kept the social distancing even amongst our group 
Um, so we'd go to training and they had this uh, massive complex called the ESPN um, Widewater Sports Complex. And that had like 30, 35 full uh, um, football pitches there. Um, so every team had their own training pitch. And then they had another four pitches there for, for games where they had the broadcast. And so it was very, very well organized, very well prepared. And then in the actual hotels, we had testing every other day. So everybody was getting tested. There were a couple of teams, uh, Dallas and Nashville, that came into the complex. And when they got tested, there were cases. So they brought them from their markets, which was the problem. Uh, the problem at the start was that every everybody's coming from different places in America. So they were bringing, so, um, so some of them had cases and then they were testing positive there. But then after the first, I think, 10 days, then it all, everybody was there. So two teams, Nashville and Dallas, weren't able to uh, compete, which meant we were left with six uh, groups of four. Um, and then obviously that, that affected our group because we had to change. So we prepared for our group and then we had to change into one of the, I think it was the Dallas group and then play in their group. And so that was a little bit of a disadvantage for us. But um um, but otherwise, it was it was very well organized. The pitches were great. The tournament, you know, we were able to play games. It was very hot and humid there, and they do have a lot of storms and uh, um, and, and lightning and and this kind of climate in 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 Florida. Um, but otherwise, it was it was really really um, good to get back out of the park, and the tournament was very well run. How did the players respond in terms of like just being in that hub environment? Uh, I think I think everybody um, echoed probably my sentiments in this in the fact that they were happy to be out there playing and training and and actually um, getting getting ready for games because uh, when you go that long without and you guys would know with the A League and all this speculation on what's happening you know you never actually think that day is going to come where you're going to start playing again um, so for us it was it was um, you know it was just exciting to be back in an environment where we could, where we could play. Um, you know, there were a lot of teams coming at different times, so it wasn't everybody coming at the same time. So slowly, you know, we were one of the first ones there. Uh, slowly teams were arriving. So it was a, there was sort of excitement building. Um, and then once you start playing the games, it goes very quickly because you prepare for the first game. So you, you know what it's like. It's three, four, five days before you're really geared for that first game. And then the next game comes four or five days later. Then again, so that that happens very quickly. So even though you're you're in this bubble, and it, it otherwise might seem a little bit monotonous. It, it was it was actually the time went quickly, and you're always filling your time with either training sessions, preparing for training sessions, analyzing games, preparing for the next game. So there's a lot of things to do. So from that point of view, it was um, you know it was quite enjoyable. And the players as well, just just being able to get out there and. Um, and start playing. Probably the, the one thing that was a little bit um, of a surprise, well, not a surprise, it was a bit unique, was that we weren't able to play any preseason games or any lead-up games. It was only in-house games. So it was a really unknown how you were going to go into that first game in terms of fitness. So And then you had the heat, and and we were playing, we played our first game at 9 a.m. So and when that and when that sun hits you, I mean, it zaps your energy. So it was quite slow some of those games whereas the night games if it was nice and fresh a little bit quicker a little bit more pace to it those so adapting to the time slots and all that kind of stuff but uh otherwise very enjoyable 
I want to ask is, Drew, what the media coverage or what the football media coverage is like in the US? Because obviously you would know from being here in Australia when it comes to the A-League, we're very low in the pecking order. We're competing with the likes of AFL and NRL. I know that in America, for example, uh, you know, you've got sports like NFL and the NBA, which are very top heavy in terms of the support that the country throws behind those particular codes. But what's the interest like in soccer, as they call it over there in the US? Well, yeah, the similarities uh, to to us back home um, is, is exactly like you mentioned. I mean, definitely those other sports are the big sports, and they have massive coverage, and uh, and you can't really compare. But the strides that the MLS has made in recent years is is quite amazing. I mean, I was surprised at just the the level of investment um, from the the owners, um, and our owner is as has been brilliant in, the, in that regard as well and, and investing in players, investing in coaching staff, investing in infrastructure, the stadiums, the, the, the training grounds that are getting built or, or looking to be built, um, all this kind of stuff has been brilliant. So the next step is the media and because of that investment, um, that's also starting to grow. It still does have um, a way to go to, to, to compare to the other sports, but um, the strides that it's made in the last 10 years um, in terms of um, just the, the players that have come in, the investment that I mentioned and all that is just um, phenomenal. And I think the last step in that is the media coverage and obviously TV rights and all that kind of stuff that it keeps growing, 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 and then the game is going to get bigger. Um, but the coverage of this tournament I thought was quite good. You know, it's one of the first sports to start playing again. That was also an advantage. Um, now the NBA is there kicking off and other sports are kicking off as well. So um, it was good that we got, got in there as one of the first ones and um, and put the product out there and, and sort of showed the way how things can go and how it can actually work. I mean, when I watch some of the MLS games back here in Australia, this was before you'd even gone to Chicago Fire, I mean, seeing the support, the stadiums yeah. are actually pretty packed as well, which is really great to see. Um, a lot of questions coming through, and I want to defer to this one in particular, but a lot of questions also asking how the MLS compares to the A-League. I mean, I know that over the years there have been some comparisons drawn there, but Trent Hannon, why aren't Australian clubs considering American college players for a loan arrangement? COVID, I understand, but is this something that clubs could consider in years to come? I know that we had Harrison Delbridge, who's obviously with Melbourne City, come through the US college system, but still, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. Is he referring to um, uh, us getting players from the American college system? Or, yeah. yeah. Or like, um, a, yeah, like an arrangement he's asking. So if we could potentially send some players over there or I'm assuming. Well, we, I, I think we do have some players actually here, so you'd be surprised. There are, are a few players that do go, uh, go through that college system. But ideally for us, I mean, if you're looking for us, for, for us in Australia, we want our players to be, to be in Australia. And if they're going to go overseas, you want them to go somewhere where they're going to um, develop. And, and the college system is very different here. So it's, not, it's probably not the level that we want, want um, our aspiring players to, to go to. So the, I think there'd be other preferences. Definitely, if they could come to the MLS, that would be fantastic because the MLS is a, is a, is a great standard. Um, but below that, you'd want our, our – and then we go back to the whole – structure of our youth development system and pathways you'd want them to be um have a system where they can nurture and then have a step up into the a-league before they're going off overseas somewhere because you'd, you you'd have to say to be going to be considering um a, a career overseas 
you have to be getting into the A-League. So if you're not getting into the A-League, you shouldn't really be uh, thinking about going overseas. Um, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense to me. Um, if you're a talented player and you're good enough to go overseas, you should be in an A-League club. If you are a talented player and you get um, a club overseas and you didn't get a club in the A-League, we have to start asking why, why aren't these guys getting spotted? Why aren't they playing in the A-League? What's going on there? So um, in terms of that, that question, I think we need these players to develop in Australia and be playing in the A-League. And then from there, go to better leagues in Europe or here like in the MLS, which is a, you know, depending on what level they're at. Mm. Uh, another question. We're getting a flood of questions um, with you on our show today's drill. It's fantastic to see the engagement, guys. Keep it going, whether you're joining us via Facebook or Twitter. Again, it's great to have your company. We have a special guest here with us, joining us all the way from Chicago, uh, Zdrilla, the great David Zdrillich, joining us here. So it's a pleasure to have him. I'm very lucky to see him, even though it is quite late in Chicago. Max Lee DeLuca, a young players who go through the collegiate system for football a chance of getting a contract with a pro team? Do most clubs scout the college system or do they generally look elsewhere's drill yeah so the interesting one I'm, and uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna be quite honest here i'm still learning a lot of the rules of this the college system and um it's 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 a very unique um system in terms of the way the college is is structured and how they get um, scholarships and what that means and and how how um, players can go back and forth from a college contract to an mls contract homegrown players there's all these different system and um and networks but generally the college players lo lose out um because they're not getting the quality coaching in that college system as they would in an mls um, um system and those ucl teams so underneath that would be normally better options in terms of scouting players and getting players through that system so we have our some young players in our roster um in our squad that that go to an affiliate club that's in the UCL and they go and play there. So that's where they get their match match time and they train with us. Obviously, the situation is a little bit now because of COVID, but generally they would train with us for three, four days of the week and then they'd go and play for our affiliate. And that's sort of how the connection um, goes with that one. But the college system is probably uh, not, not where you'd be scouting most of the players very different to the whole nba system and the um, nfl and all that where the college is massive and that's and then they have the whole big draft and the best players come from that draft but our football is is very different so we have a world game which is means there's players being scouted from everywhere not from the colleges so you're not going to get them from the college but in other sports the draft is massive and you're getting the best players um from there so i'm still getting up to speed with how that all the mechanisms work but it's very unique and very interesting mm, stolich yeah it's real i wanted to ask uh how has it been kind of the the step up from you know you were working uh in leipzig with the under 19s now it's a senior team assistant coach as well uh what's that been like and i believe we have some footage that i can show you now there's Zrilla in the mask uh, and what's it been like your first kind of couple months there well, the mask covers my nose, so that's a positive. I'll tell you that. Much. <laughs> that's, uh, that's always good. Um, but uh, yeah, look, you guys know better than any, any, um, anyone that um, you know. It was all a bit of a surprise that I how I went to to Leip Leipzig, and um, you know, for me, it was it was about 
I knew that there was a whole a whole different world, another level of coaching and, and knowledge out there. And if, if 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 you have the chance to access that, I just thought I have to give it a go. And that's that's the reason I went to Leipzig. And that was a very um, um, it was a, it was a a pressure a pressure situation. So you're learning under a lot of pressure because they they expect you to be. If you're there, you're a high highly regarded. Um, uh, coach in whatever level you are. So that's why I went there to learn, obviously, the Red Bull system. Um, Ralph Rannick is the one that developed the whole um, philosophy. I played under the philosophy when he, when he was just starting under Ralph Rannick and now to learn the coaching um, and to be mentored by him and other mentors was why I went there. So the, the two and a half to three years that I spent there and learning was just has just taken me to, to a different level of knowledge. And, and so now to be able to to, to work in a pro environment, which is obviously what I always wanted, but I know I had to to learn the craft first and learn from from really experts in, in, in that craft um, was just an invaluable experience. So now to go into this pro environment, I feel I'm ready. I feel I'm ready to tackle this. I have the knowledge, I feel it in all the situations that now I'm, I know you know, I've got, I've got my, my thinking is there. I know the answers to a lot of things that I didn't have the answers for. And it was funny because it was actually through commentating, presenting that I realized that actually I need to know a lot more because I started asking questions to coaches um, after our, you know, Lucy, when we're doing the A-League coverage and I'm asking yeah. questions that sometimes I didn't really have the answers for myself. So now I'm thinking, well, I need to, you know, and obviously being next to someone like Foz who... He's on a different level in terms of his um, analysis of games and his thinking on many subjects, not just football. Um, that also took me to an, another level. So I knew there's a lot, lot there's a, there, there were many more steps that I needed to get to. So um, that's why I, I invested in going to Leipzig. And after going to that experience, I felt myself um, jump to another level. And we did, we spoke about it, Lucy, when we went, when we did the World Cup in Russia. It, you know, you just, yeah, you know, I was also talking to Foz in a different way. All of a sudden, we were talking tactical things in a different way. And once you have that in you, um, it's a great feeling. And then you can take that into your next job, which I've done here. Um, and it's been a great experience because now I really feel like I can uh, provide, uh, a, um, you, know, you know, I can really get across to the players. I can really help and we can, you know, we've got something to work on. So that's been a, a great experience for me. You're now, sorry, just quickly, Stolich, before yeah. we jump in, I mean, your analysis of games, you touched on it there. I, I kept saying it to you repeatedly while we were in Russia on the couch watching games. I said your tactical knowledge now has evolved to a level that's just incredible. Um, and it was really fascinating to see because we'd worked together prior to you obviously going overseas to Red Bull Leipzig and then after the fact. And, I mean, you'd, you'd always had sound knowledge of the game, but I was just so impressed with the, the level that it had reached while you were over there. Uh, it was phenomenal. But, Stolich, back over to you. Yeah, it's real. I mean, uh, I always admired your work ethic, but one thing I always admired was uh, your competitiveness. And I wondered, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the time, we've kind well, of maybe seen if <laughs> <laughs> we've maybe seen a few videos of some games that you've been playing with the boys. Can you tell us how did you go in the uh, putt putt competition, which we're going to show uh, now? <laughs> Um, hey, there he is. I think that says everything. I think that's a. I think that's a face of a winner. 
No, but, uh, no. How's, the, how's the group? How's the group dynamic there? You're settling in well. It looks like you're having a good time. And, uh, you know, I think I think you've always been a very likable character. So it's good to see you seemingly settling well. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think it's a great group, really. I mean, for the whole coaching staff to, to come together as new people, so as all new staff um, and a lot of new players, so to, to, to get that culture and to get that sort of dynamic in the team, not always easy. Um, probably in some regards, this whole situation has brought us together um, a lot more, well, quicker probably, um, with, uh, especially the new players. So they're able to bond with everybody together. But I find it really enjoyable being around the group. Um, you know, and as an assistant coach, you can joke around a little bit more, get yourself down to the players' level a little bit more. I still... Um, if if we need an extra player, I'm the one that puts a hand up and goes in <laughs> to play, and, uh, um, and we're always we're always jumping around with the guys playing with the guys. So you know, I I look, I love being competitive. I think that's something that gives me a drive. And most most coaches and and people in the football game are like that. So it's something that brings enjoyment, as you could see in the in the golf. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to refer to another comment coming through from Dave Lazzardi. Great um, question uh, from you, Dave, and fabulous to have your company. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for writing to us. Good to see Zdriller back on SBS TWG. Always like the Lucy Foz and Zdriller combo. That's very nice of you to say, Dave. I liked it myself. Uh, Zdriller, would you consider coming back to the A-League at some time in the future? He took the words right out of my mouth because I'd love to know sort of um, what your coaching ambitions are from here on out. Do you want to come back and coach in the A-League or is your ambition to stay abroad and potentially extend your tentacles out to Europe? Well, it, it's um, everybody um, probably thinks, you know, that, that you sort of have a, have a plan and, yeah, you, you, you have ambitions to go as high as you, high as you can. But um, I don't look at it like, you know, I, I know I want to just keep improving and keep learning. Um, that's the, the Leipzig thing was, the, the, the I, as I said, the best thing for me because I just learned probably uh, in those two and a half years 10 years worth of, of, of coaching knowledge and something probably I could never have learned in Australia because you just don't have access to that. It's different level, different pressure. Um, you know, you know, we were involved in Champions League and, and we, we, you know, we flew around with the, the Champions League team. Our team played also Champions League before their game. So all that kind of stuff, you don't have, have a chance to do that in Australia. So that kind of knowledge um, is, is what I search for. Then you come, then I've, now I've come here in a pro environment in the MLS, in a, in, a, in a very good league that's grown unbelievably and it's a very, very good league and it just keeps growing. So um, I just keep evolving and, I do, and that's what I look um, to keep doing. So whatever the next step is will be an evolution, be the, a next, the, the next step for me. Um, I never put any pressure on when that is or what that is. I mean, I didn't expect to be here in Chicago. I mean, I was at Red, Red Bull and... and Red Bull has a club in New York, so if anything, um, the link was more there. And then all of a sudden, this came and it was a blessing in disguise, and and it's been fantastic. And was never on the radar. So that's football. Leipzig was never on the radar. I mean, I was working with you guys, and then all of a sudden, uh, a few weeks later, I'm in Leipzig, signed a signed a two year contract. So that's the way I view things. Um, I enjoy it that way. I never know where I'm going to be. But to sort of answer the question, the alien, I don't rule anything out. I mean, I. I who knows who knows um what the future is going to look like especially now in this environment i don't really want to think 
too far ahead. Just enjoy what I'm doing right now. Well said, Spolich. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, what are some of the things that we can kind of, the differences and the similarities between the A-League and what can the A-League maybe learn from the MLS, which maybe is a bit more developed, I would say? Yeah, I think, I think firstly, the big difference is the, the population here and the, and the amount of money they have um, to access. That makes a big difference. Having said that, they also had a lot of problems getting the MLS up and running and now it's really kicked off. So um, the, 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 the biggest problem I see now and just, just reading and watching um, everything that's happening in the A-League is there's just there's a lot of infighting. There's, there's never a consensus. There's never a, everybody's got opinions, but it's never in the, in the, in the one direction. Um, and we just can't afford to keep doing that because firstly, we don't have the population, we don't have the money um, to, to keep fighting with each other. Um, we, we have to be aligned. So we've been saying this for many, many years. Um, that's what the MLS have done. They're aligned now. The club owners have aligned and they're part of the ownership structure. Um, they're invested in the league. Um, it's the structures there. Everybody's on the same page and and that unified approach has created this very very strong network and strong league um the other thing that they've done well and again it comes down to money is you've got the clubs that have built their uh purpose-built stadiums which brings in a great atmosphere and great supporters um uh, and then that leads to this great little um these little hubs and teams uh, in all the cities, so with rivalries, and obviously they've got their Eastern and Western Conference um, because the country is so so big. But um, for us, I think you know the the, the Adelaide's and their and the stadiums like that, the um, yeah, Melbourne Victory and 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 playing at uh, at Amy and these kind of things. Um, we need more of that, but that comes down to money. Um, and then to get the money and to get all that, you need cooperation between everyone so i think we need to collaborate um i i but it's but it's easy saying that but just i mean you guys again know better than i do but it doesn't seem to be um that way at the moment it just seems to be a lot of a lot of different opinions and it doesn't even look like we've started started at the base yet you know we're still going to get all that stuff away and start and have a picture and then somehow go together but i think we're a long way away from that unfortunately Question coming in from Ari Brisbane, one of our regulars here in our TWG live show. Great to have your company once again. Ari, could you please ask Dave if promotion and relegation would benefit the MLS? Uh, actually, not really. I mean, um, there's uh, there's a lot of teams already here and they're, they're not struggling for people um, to, to buy in franchises. So, um, you know, we've got with, with 26 teams, it's it's already and I think they 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 keep adding teams and I think they're going to cap it at like thirty two so they've they've got no problem getting teams with backing with money um, so I think it's a very different situation to what we have in Australia we don't have that sort of um, ability to to provide for so many teams that to be competitive and then the players and the player pool and all that kind of stuff so um, I think it's a very different situation so. They they don't they don't need uh, promotion relegation. They do have the UCL underneath, but those that's not a promotion relegation leagues. They are set in those leagues and they stay there and all the tiers underneath. So again, it's another unique thing about here in, in, in America is that those 
those USL teams are there and they stay there. There's, there's no going up or going down. Um, and their whole uh, existence survive, is based on their level. Uh, MLS, same thing. And it works here. It actually works here. So, no, no need for promotion relegation here. Although I do think it would be a huge benefit for us in Australia. Uh, one topic that I want to move on to now, um, and this is something that we, of course, have been discussing at length, particularly during this COVID period, because we've unearthed, uh, you know, all the existing issues with Australian football that, as you said before, we've been talking about for in excess of 30 years, but they've really come under the microscope at the moment. And one of them is coaching's drill. Um, and I want to yeah. talk about pathways. Obviously, share your experiences with us, but are we doing enough? Are we providing enough pathways and opportunities for Australian coaches? Uh, well, no, there's not really, I mean, you, you, you have a limited amount of A-League teams, so there's, there's, there's not many spots there. So there's not many options uh, for coaches um, in Australia. And then if you're an A-League coach, um, okay, you can make, you can make a, a decent living if you have some sort of a consistent run, uh, but then you're talking of about 10 or 11, 11 um, coaches. Um, other, other than that, you've then got... Um, a lot of foreign coaches that, that keep coming in, even though the Australian coaches are doing quite well um, and have proven that. But um, so, so it's very difficult for coaches to have a career in Australia. There's a lot of passionate coaches in Australia, and you can see the coaching standard is getting better and better. You can just see from the guy, the guys that are uh, producing and winning. I mean, um, um, Bimby, uh, Steve Corica, you know, my good friend, steps into the role and wins two championships, and that's not easy to do. That's not just a given that you're going to walk in and it doesn't happen like that, and especially after a team that's already been winning. So these are guys, you know, Ufuk Tale's um, a similar situation, and, 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 and you've got a lot, of, a lot of guys that have been producing now. So that's good, but the jobs aren't there. So then you've got guys that obviously then also want to go overseas. Now there are a few, a few more guys overseas, but that's not easy either. Um, so it is difficult. If you go then underneath, the A-League coaches to the assistant coaches and down into the youth, there's not really enough money to make a good living out of that. So then it's you're, you're doing coaching with something else. Um, or you, you, So it's difficult. It's difficult to make a career. But having said that, there's a lot of passionate um, people out there who want to coach and really have it in their heart to do that. So we have to find a way to get more jobs. But that comes back to the whole thing about player development, about... Uh, the clubs about um, a good a good structure, a good A League, a good everything produces jobs for in every department, not just the coaches. So, it really every question that you ask comes back to getting aligned and making a better product. Better product means better jobs for everyone. More media, more more coaching opportunities, more playing opportunities, um, everything. Stolich. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. And we see plenty of examples uh, of, of people now going overseas, like uh, Pete Klamowski is getting kind of his first start in the yeah. J-League. And, uh, you know, you see how long it took uh, Ante Milicic to get an A-League role. You know, he's been an assistant for many years, very experienced coach. Um, and, yeah, you're right. I think we, we're seeing, a, you know, the success of Bimbi, but also the success of like Ufuk Tale as well. Um, and, you know, how long he had to wait. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it's a very good point. And I, and I wonder, yeah, like you were saying, what can we do to fix it? And I think, 
you know, it's more teams, whether that be first and second, and, and more opportunities uh, through that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask Zrilla was uh, how does the standard of play and the standard of players um, change from the A League to the MLS? Would you would you say it's significantly higher, higher, about the same? Uh, I think the standard is. Um, I think the sta- we have a lot of good good players in um, the A League, but in general, I think there's a there's a, a bigger pool of, of of players. There's more money to spend on players here in the MLS, so you're getting a better quality of of player. Um, there's a lot of um, especially the positioning here around Central America and South America, so you're getting a lot of that influence here. Um, a lot of Spanish speaking players. Here, I mean, from from the likes of Argentina, Colombia. I mean, you've got many different um, nationalities here, and you're seeing that kind of flair on 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 the field. And the other thing is, with the situation with green cards, you after it being here for a year, you can get a green card. So a lot of these players who come in as foreigners are then considered non-foreigners, and then you can keep getting international players. So. Um, on the one side, maybe not good for American players because they are going to get less game time, but the overall squads look more international than, than, than just American. So there's that sort of debate that's going on here as well. Um, and then obviously you've got the two sides, so whichever way you want to sit there. But yeah, generally I think the quality is very good. Mm. Um, a couple of more questions coming through. Uh, and one of the things that I've also wanted to ask Israel is about, you know, the, the quality of football in the A-League here and how much that's grown over time as well. Is that something that you can agree has improved a lot? Or where, where are we at at the moment in 2020 at the very least? No COVID's hit, but have we improved or have we stagnated? I think we've stagnated, to be honest. I mean... Um if you go back to the start, we had a lot of like Socceroos that were coming back. You had a lot of these, uh, lo- these were Socceroos who were Socceroos from overseas coming back to play here. Now a lot of the Socceroos are coming from the A-League um, and are based in A-League. So you can say, is that because the A-League is a lot stronger or is that because we're not producing players who are coming back from over- overseas? It looks like we're not producing enough players that are playing overseas. So there's... Again, there's many discussions around why that is. Is that because players see the A-League as a, as a great competition, they want to stay? Or, But I still think no matter how good the competition is in Australia, the best players still want to go overseas. And we're not getting that quantity of player playing overseas like we did in the, um, the golden generation where nearly every player was playing overseas in top leagues. And you had two or three players per position all playing in the top league. Um, we don't, we're not having that anymore. So uh, I definitely think that the standard hasn't hasn't definitely hasn't increased um, um, from the first years. It's it's I think um, I think we've got a problem, and that comes back down to the pathway again, and, and having the right pathway, having the players coming through. The more players we have coming through, playing in the A League, going overseas, having better careers overseas, coming back, strengthening the A League. And that cycle then just keeps continuing. But we had a big problem with the the players coming up through the pathway, not developing players. We can argue how many years that's been or or, or, or why that was, but there was a big chunk there where we weren't producing enough players. And that's going to have an effect at some point on the standard of playing the A-League. And I think we're seeing that now. Then have the perfect, uh, perfect storm of everything that's happening now with the player 
uh, payments and with, 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 with COVID and all that effect that it has on every part of society, um, all those fractures that you, you see um, are going to be evident in, in the product on the, uh, on the field. Having said that, there's some great teams that are playing great football. Sydney FC, perfect example, they've got a great team and that's one of, you know, they've got a very high standard. But I think overall, the general go from top to bottom, the distance has become far greater than it was in the first, the first few years where I don't, I don't think the gap was as great. So that feeds into the next topic of conversation, which is about player development. And, and you've touched on it briefly there, but where do we start? What needs to change, Drill? How do we fix it? One, one thing that I always found when, when I was in Australia and, and just going through this whole pathway thing, and uh, I found it very complicated to know what, and, and this is coming from the football community, we're on TV talking about this stuff, and I'm confused about what the pathway is. It, can, it seemed to be change, changing every year, something different. There's a new SAP program. There's some other program. Now they're doing this. Now they're doing that. And I'm like, how do I tell my uh, um, family members, nephews and all that? Well, I don't even know what to advise them where the best thing is to go and who to go to. And, you know, then you've got academies that have set up, uh, private academies, and a lot of players are going there. A lot of them are very good is that the structure that we want so it just doesn't align with the best um, systems uh, particularly in Europe um, so where do we start that's a good question um, it goes back to being aligned and everybody on the same page and when you're not on the same page you're going to have this guy saying this this person over here saying this someone over here is telling you this so then where do you start but the the the, the thing that we can all agree on is that there is not a good pathway here. There are not players that can say, I'm a young kid, I'm going to play for Sydney FC when I grow older and I know exactly how that pathway looks and I know how to get there um, or whichever team it may be. Um, and I think that's the big problem. And then you look into the coaching. I think it's got a lot better. I think the coaching has become better. But um, I still don't think there's enough opportunities for young players to play at a high level, which... And that, and that high level, I mean, is just before the A-League where they're playing high-quality games before they take the step into the A-League because the jump becomes too big. Um, whereas in Europe, um, they're playing high-quality games at under-17, under-19s, some, some, some have under-23s, and then you've got a lot of quality football before you jump into the, the Bundesliga, and then you've got the Bundesliga second, second league, third league, and underneath. So you've got all these many tiers where players can find their their level, we don't have that. We've got one top tier, you've got the, the NPL, and then underneath is just the pathway's not there. So it's disjointed and that, that makes it very difficult for, for players to develop. A couple of more comments coming through before I bounce over to you, Stolich, and then we'll get through some major news items. Uh, a nice one coming through from Todd Blackwell, one of our regular viewers here. Todd, great guy, very passionate Newcastle Jets fan. He just wrote in to say, Arvo, guys, hope you're all still surviving the current madness, okay? Take care and stay safe. Thinking of you all, much love and respect. Thanks so much for your comment, Todd. Always a pleasure to chat to you, yeah, mate. mate. We hope you and yours are staying nice and safe wherever you are. I'm assuming still in Newcastle. Mike Tomolaris, good old Mike. He's so good no, to no. see yeah, no, Zdrilla, our former <laughs> comrade on the telly again. Hashtag missing Zdrilla. We couldn't agree more. Thanks for your comment, Tomo. Um, over to you, Stolich. 
Yeah, uh, Zrila, I wondered if you had heard um, there's some rumours out today that Tim Cahill is being considered as coach for um, Atlanta United. Uh, I don't know if you'd heard those rumours, if you'd heard from Tim himself, if he'd been calling, asking to speak about how MLS is going and if you think uh, he would be a good appointment. No, I actually hadn't heard that so, uh, news. That's, that's news to me. But um, firstly, uh, g'day to Tomo. Um, <laughs> it was always good for a laugh, Tomo. So missing him as well as uh, as I am all you guys. But um, with Timmy K, obviously playing out New York, so he's got a name here, and it's like everything you got. If if people know who you are, Thierry Henry, obviously at, at Montreal is there coaching, so he's got a good network here, uh, Timmy, as he as he does everywhere around the world. Um, and we've seen with the, the likes of uh, Ateta, who then went um, with Pep and now is doing a great job at Arsenal. You see how all these links lead into to coaching opportunities and um, um, and that network, network is very important, very strong. Uh, it looks like Tim is taking his, his, his way of, of, of trying to learn about coaching and that's very important. So um, I, I think when you get the chance. I'm up for anybody who's got the opportunity to get, have a chance because it's not always easy to get those kind of jobs and get those roles. Tim knows better than anyone if he's ready for that. Um, I can only speak to, for myself. That's why I went to Leipzig to learn because I knew I had to learn a lot about coaching. It's a totally different job to playing. Um, um, so only Tim knows how far along he is and, and obviously he's a very confident person in his, in his ability. So that's not going to be a problem. Um, uh, but in terms of coaching, there's a lot to it. Um, and from what I've seen in a lot of his posts and following him on social media, he's investing a lot into that journey. So it would be very interesting and be great to see if he does get that job. Just doubling back to the coaching conversation that we're having, I want to defer to one of the comments coming through via Facebook from Ivan Stragan, another one of our top viewers here on the World Game Live every Wednesday. Even the Australian coaching system is flawed with the strict one way of playing curriculum, coaches not being able to experiment. Um, we had Josip Skorko on the show with us last week, um, Drill, you know, top guy, Skoks, uh, great to have his views yeah. at the moment a lot more vocal, uh, particularly during the last six months. Uh, they've formed the Golden Generation panel. Also, Football Federation Australia have initiated their own starting 11 panel to get the views of ex-players involved. But when it comes to a technical director, a national TD, we are still without one. What do you think? And we pose this question to Scox, and I'd love to hear your views. What do you think we should be looking for in a TD? Well, experience is the is the biggest thing. I mean, um, when you look at the best countries in the world and the way that they've produced uh, players, um, you know, obviously there's obviously a, a structure there that um, that they've built on, um, but it's 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 unique to their culture. So yes, you need experience, but you need also someone who understands our culture. And I don't think that's always aligned. Um, so, and this is in many different. Um, um, roles that we've sometimes employed people. We get someone from overseas thinking automatically they're better than someone we've got here and they don't understand our culture. If you don't understand our culture, you're not going to get the best out of our players because it's not like sticking a German uh, structure and put it in Australia, it's going to work or the Dutch Dutch structures. It doesn't work like that. You have to understand, take take the knowledge from overseas and apply it to Australia using what we have and, and feed off our attributes. And 
I still believe if you do that and we get all these things right and you use our uh, Australian mentality of, of never say die, and I mean, it sounds like cliche, but that mentality is something lacking in a lot of other countries now. There's a lot of youth youth um, being brought up and they don't have that, that, that sort of um, um, spirit that I think we still have, you know. Um, I know it's changing a little bit and the generations change as they go through. It's, 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 it's common. But a lot of that is in Germany is one of those examples where I thought I was going to go to Germany and then every player is just like, you know, going to run through a brick wall because that's what I experienced as a player playing in Germany that really hardened German mentality. They never give up, never. And a lot of the younger players don't have that anymore. And a lot of the coaches that are coming through have a different approach, not that hardline approach, not saying that that's the right way, um, but that's the way I got brought up and made me tougher. But it's gone very much in the other direction where the players have much more of the control and don't always have the discipline or the hardness. So it's, it's a very fine line. It's not always easy and it's always evolving. So you can't just put a, oh, this worked in Germany, it's going to work in Australia. You have to be on your feet all the time evolving understanding the the landscape understanding the the culture so it's not an easy job but i'll tell you something we need to get it uh right and we need to get it soon because anything that you implement takes five plus years to see results same thing if you get it wrong it's going to take that much longer to get it right and then start again so i hope this opportunity now as bad as it may seem sometimes in the whole um issue with with, with australian football we make the right decisions now and then at least we can start looking up and, 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 and hopefully, you know, we can start thriving similar to what's been happening here in the MLS. Mm. Uh, I want to move on to the next item of news, obviously a big talking point here in the country. Uh, I know that we've been desperate for the A-League to return and uh, it didn't take all that long for Sydney FC to do what we all expected them to do, which was to create history and claim their fourth championship trophy. Um, incredible stuff. Uh, you know, really, really, uh, as you said earlier, really top stuff from Bimbi, who's been able to carry on the legacy of Graham Arnold and effectively make his own, but it's not easy to do. But why do they continue to be so successful, Drill? That's what we want to know. And, and what can we gauge from what Bimbi would be like as a coach and from your experiences and your friendship with him as well? What do we know about him? Well, you spoke about that competitiveness uh, that I have and, and he, we are very much the same in that regard. And I think that's an important, important um, attribute to have because it makes you strive to be the best you can be in any situation and you, you, never, you never come down from that. So I think that's definitely a, a, very, a very positive uh, trait uh, from Bimbi. Bimbi also, he took the time and he learnt and he spent many years as an assistant coach and he saw different coaches and he... Uh, he, he was very comfortable in that step when he applied and when he eventually got it. I think it's a great decision. But also, you talk about pathways again. We go back to the same thing. But Sydney FC have a great structure. They've got a good structure in their club. And that network and that structure and that foundation that they've set up allows all these other um, systems to, to work. And, and and then obviously for, for Bimbi to take advantage of that. But he's got to still... Yeah, he still had to change players when he first came in. He had a, a turnaround of marquee players, uh, Bobo, for instance, and and these kind of guys. <laughs> so he so he really had to um, uh, change things ever so slightly, but just enough to 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 
to have to make sure that the culture stays strong. It's always harder to win a, a premiership and win a title on the back of, of winning. So he's done that now twice. Um, so that, I think that's a fantastic achievement. And while other clubs have have sort of lost their way and, and, and have had their problems and a bit of turmoil, Sydney FC have been constant, good foundation, and and Bimby's kept a very nice structure amongst the coaches. He's got a good coaching staff. Um, he's got a good culture with the playing staff. He's kept the group happy. Um, they love playing for him and the club, and you really see that in all the things that they do. So I think that's very important that they, they keep that consistency. And I think if other clubs don't catch up soon, they're going, they're going to run away with it in the next um, couple of years as well. Mm, very true. Stolich, I want to defer to you now on this particular news item that's coming up. And uh, it drew some headlines, and I'm sure those involved would say for the wrong reasons, but for the rest of us watching the match between Central Coast Mariners and Western Sydney Wanderers the other night, they would have taken note of the fact that uh, Mark Bosnich, Brenton Speed and Adam Peacock uh, had, a, had, a bit of, um, had a bit of a biff on air. Could you could you say it that way? Could you really refer to it as a, as a biff on air? No, nah, I mean, no. Exchange of words, and and for those of you that may have missed it, I'm not sure if you caught it, Zilla. Um, basically, what you had was Mark Bosnich saying to Brenton Speed, "Well, I'm the expert. You commentate the game." And then Adam Peacock chimed in and said, "Well, yep, you've heard it. He's the expert." Now, the question that we're asking is not so much to do with them. Um, you know, I think they're all top guys. Um, you know, they've been involved and covered the game for many, many years now, and all very skilled uh, in their respective fields. But the question that we're posing today is, what should and shouldn't commentators do? How do you like your games commentated? And I mean, before you answer those questions, what did you make of the other night? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I I think it was a tense exchange, but I always uh, like a bit of drama, a bit of conflict, a bit of arguments. That that to me is part of the game. When I sit down and watch games with my friends or family, yeah, arguments all the time. That's that's all we're doing. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, this that's a penalty. No way, it's not. Ah, oh, that guy is crap. He needs to come off. No, he needs to put on this play. So I I really like that in a game, especially the more boring a game. Which let's say yeah. Mariners Wanderers wasn't exactly prime El Clasico 2011 or whatever. It was it was a struggling app. So I like the debate. Um, I, I, I like uh, opinions. I like the opinions of people on this show as well. But, yeah, it is an interesting one, and I'm interested to hear from the viewers as well how they like their games commentated because I think a lot of it is cultural. And I think uh, we get that influence from England where you have kind of your play-by-play -play commentator with a with an expert next to him. The kind of classic example is Martin Tyler and uh, Andy Gray, and they would just – Kind of Martin Tyler would just call it. Andy Gray would tell you what was happening, but I don't mind a bit of a few different experts. I would like to have even more commentators in there throwing in more opinions. So it was an interesting uh, one on uh, Monday night, but it got people talking. Uh, maybe for the wrong reasons, but I I say usually the more informed opinion, the better. I don't want to have just any crazy opinions. Uh, you know, shout out to Jorge Lazo if you're watching. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I think the more informed opinions, the better. That's that's for me. Rodrigo Torres, agree. The tension is part of the game and adds interest to the game. I'm all for opinions, and I agree with you, Stolich. Um, I think that the more that you have, the better. Um, and it all just comes down to personal preference. I mean, for example... I love to listen to Martin Tyler. I think he's like listening to poetry in the commentary box. I'm also a very big fan of Peter Drury, who's also a Premier League commentator as well. I, I love Simon Hill. I like the commentators to call the action as they see it. And then for the expert in that position to, to really give us the intricacies and the intimate knowledge, um, you know, behind play.
play and, and games and, and what it's like to be in that real-time situation, which we don't have the benefit of experiencing, experiencing that. Zrilla, what are your thoughts on all this? I'm not sure if you saw that, but even to answer that question, I mean, what, what should commentators do and what should they not do? Um, well, firstly, um, what's really annoying sometimes is that I get geo blocks, so I can't always see the. <laughs> I can't always see the action. Something comes up which is interesting on on Twitter, and it's uh, it's blocked for me. So I didn't actually see exactly what what happened. But oh, uh, I'll send you the clip later, Israel. It's pretty good. All right. Well, then, uh, but but I guess I can frame it this way. Um, I don't think you you've ever been short of an opinion, Lucy, when we've had discussions on. Things so, so I think, we're used to, I think we're used to a different sort of uh, um, yeah. uh, ourselves. So, what, what's right, what's wrong? I don't know. I mean, look, um, I think it's about entertainment. Um, yeah, there are traditional views on, on, on the way things should be structured, and and um, without seeing, I can't really say too much more, but um, it's got to add value to the to the conversation, and and it's, it, it, I think, I think, um. Stolly said it said it well there. It's got to it's got to add value. It's got to be it's got to be an informed yeah. opinion. Can't, you know, and if that comes across that way, I'm all for it. Martin Tyler, for example, he's watched. He's been around, so a lot of the the thoughts and opinions from him is coming from so much experience and knowledge. So so you want to hear that. Um, and I guess if that's coming across, then 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 it's great. Um, and and it also comes into the character. And that's why I brought it up. I know it's funny, Lucy, but we always had that sort of a. Uh, interaction and and then it's mm -hmm. like it work it works you know it might not work for every person so I think it has to work for that person then it's great but again it's about entertainment value yeah and it's a question of chemistry as well if if you know I think all three of us have a really good relationship we could argue about something for forty minutes and it wouldn't be awkward but if if the chemistry is not there as soon as there's an argument about anything it gets very tense and awkward and people oh. Okay, so I think it's, I think what we're going to see in the future, probably in the near future, and I would really like to see this, and this is something that actually I wanted to bring to SBS at the last World Cup, but basically when you turn on the TV, you can choose from a number of commentary streams or just hear the crowd noise. So, you know, if for example, if it's a game between maybe Boca and River, all I want to do is hear the crowd noise. I don't want to hear any commentary. Whereas, you know, maybe if it's a game between... Russia and Saudi Arabia at the World Cup, I can listen to some funny commentators who are going to, you know, make jokes and have a bit of fun with the game. Although if it's like a really big Champions League game, maybe I want really serious commentary and really tactical and they're breaking everything down and maybe more for a hardcore audience. And then there are going to be people who, of course, maybe are watching a World Cup game for the first time and they could choose a kind of more beginner's commentary which explains the rules to them and this is Lionel Messi. He's the best player on Argentina and blah, blah, blah. So I, I think like, that's what we're like going to see in the future. I like the way you think because we're talking about getting jobs. So you've just created 20 different streams uh, <laughs> for one game. That's not bad. Yeah. That's it. Let, let us know in the comments if you want us to do our own alternative commentary on this. Me and Zrilla will do it uh, for any game you like. Nick Stoll saving the Australian sporting economy, um, one commentary view at a time. Um, <laughs> I want to defer to the comments as well and, and what people say that they like in their commentary. Michael Carboni writing in by Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Like the opinions, although would love more enthusiasm by the callers. Either way, all viewers form their own view based on what they see. 
And that's what this comes down to, Zdrill, is that I guess I would never get into a heated argument, um, say, with a former player about whether or not something constitutes a red card or whether or not it's a penalty because I'm always going to trust what the player's saying. I might challenge it. I might say, oh, but what do you think about this? And could it be seen as this? What about the, the devil's advocate side of things? But I think it's important to lean on you guys but also understand that you could have a room full of 5X players looking at the one incident and each of you are going to come up with a different view on it, right? Yeah, and that's um, that's true. So, I mean, if the role is the guy you're asking someone their opinion, then 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 that's it. I mean, you can debate it. I guess it comes down to how you debate it. And um, from what Nick was alluding to before, I guess it comes to that. If us three are debating it, um, I think I, I think it's, it'll be a nice little discussion. I don't know how that discussion went, but there might be something else going on behind it that creates a bit more tension. Who knows? But it's. Um, it's definitely a game of opinions and everybody's got an opinion. The question is, what opinion does the viewer want to hear? Um, so it's basically, I think the viewers, it'd be interesting to see what the consensus was. Do they want to hear? No, I want to hear Boz's um, call without any interruption or do I want to hear the collective? So um, I think that's, we have to be adaptable and things aren't always how it used to be. Um, things change a lot, so that'll be interesting to see what the what the majority of people um, would like to hear and what they actually enjoy. Mm, I want to wrap up. But yes, one more point, Stolich. Well, I just wanted to say I think it's really interesting uh, when you kind of listen to commentary in different languages and how much it changes. For example, sometimes I listen to Spanish radio to help me learn Spanish during the big games, and let me tell you, they are not short of an opinion. First of all, there's about ten people <laughs> trying to commentate, so they've got they've got a They've got a main commentator, then an expert from one team, an expert from another team. Then they've got back in the studio, three ex-players, a referee, an ex-referee. Then they've got sidelines for each bench and all these things. And when something controversial happens, it's like, that's a red card. No way is that a red card. You're going crazy. Are you kidding me? A red card? It's not It's not even a foul. And then a red card, it should be an assault sentence. And they're just arguing. Da, 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 da. And there for them, it, it, it's super. And for me, I love it because that's how I like to be as well. And I think like the commenter was saying, one one thing I dislike is when an amazing moment happens and the commentator kind of almost downplays it. Like it'll be an incredible goal and they'll be like, well, there you go. You know, Liverpool take the lead. And you're like, you just dribbled three players, put it top corner. Like, can we get excited about yeah. something? So yeah, yeah. That, that, but that's just my preference. Some people might like the more understated version. And, and I, I suppose where, where you come from and, and what you've been kind of grown up with as well. Exactly. I think can make or break a certain moment. I mean, I think uh, Brenton Speed's call when uh, Riley McGree scored that scorpion kick was epic. Um, you know, that was fabulous commentary that complemented the moment as well. So moving on to the last uh, news item, and, of course, this one will appease one of our regular fans on our World Game Live coverage, Santino Mamorna. Yes, we are going to talk about your beloved Juve claiming their ninth straight Scudetto. I mean, incredible stuff. It's, it's, it's crazy when you consider Juve's dominance. But, you know, is it healthy for the same team to win the league every Every year, Zdrilla, having come from obviously Germany, we know that in the Bundesliga, Bayern continuously dominant. It's it's all well and good for the the fans of those clubs and for those particular clubs. But what we want to know is, is it good for the competition? And and you know, would it be good to see other teams winning the comp more often? Generally, uh, look again, it comes down to personal opinion. I mean, I I I, I always like when there's a title challenge and. And somebody different is there challenging. I mean, but but if you're running a club like Bayern, what are you what are you supposed to do? I mean, they're very 
they're very smart in the way they go about their business and don't forget they're not the it's not like in other leagues where they've got uh, a billionaire that just you know takes advantage that they've actually built something where they're so dominant and their strategy like it or, or loathe it is to pick the best players from the other Bundesliga team so you're not only strengthening your team but you're weakening the other team at the same time which has been their philosophy um, pretty much for the last 10 years that's why they're so dominant um, I always like when someone gets close to them and, and challenges but that hasn't happened for many years now um, so I, I, I wish that that changes um, and it becomes more of an open race um, definitely the spots underneath Bayern in the Bundesliga has always been very interesting especially for those champion uh, Champions League spots um, in the Premier League I think it's a little bit better because now you've got teams that are starting to, you know, now Liverpool obviously won, Man City have been strong and all the other ones around that are there that could all also pop up and win the win the league at some point. So I think it's healthy. I think it keeps interest. Um, I definitely would like to see a bit of a more uh, even playing field. Stolich, your thoughts on that subject? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I find myself supporting anyone who's challenging uh, Juve or challenging Bayern or PSG for the title. You know, whether it was Atalanta this year, Napoli in previous years, you know, uh, Dortmund, Leipzig. I just find that, you know, I'm not, I don't follow these leagues all that closely, but I'm always looking. I hope someone beats them. And it's frustrating that they never do. And I think we're probably going to see it. The more this happens, the more a European Super League will become called yeah. for because they're, they're winning so much. And I wonder, Israel, your time in, in Germany, how far off do you think like a Leipzig or something like that is away from toppling Bayern? And what is the feeling towards Bayern from the kind of the German population? Do they Are they really hated or are they admired? Do they like them when they're winning, you know, in the Champions League and stuff like that? No, they're not, they're not hated, but they're, you know, there's a, there's a respect for Bayern because they're a massive powerhouse. And when... When Bayern come into town, and even when Leipzig's doing really well, Bayern coming into town is is a, is a big thing. Um, it really is a big thing. And I remember, I remember there was a game um, when they when Bayern came to Leipzig, and this was, I think it was, I think it was last season. And um, there was a period there where Leipzig were doing really well, and they were really pushing Bayern. I think they were actually in front of Bayern. There was a big, it was a, a, this game would change thing. It would really push either Leipzig ahead or bring Bayern back up. The, the energy and, the, and, the, and the, um, the confidence around Bayern and just the way they went into this game, because you'd think they won every year. I mean, here we go again. There's another challenger, Leipzig. But the, the determination for them to beat Leipzig and how much they put into it and how much it meant to them by beating Leipzig shows you why they win all the time. It's not, the, it's not just that they buy the best players. There is such a... Uh, a belief. Don't, don't forget, they need to win every game because they've got so much pressure to win every game. That's also not easy to do. So you could really feel the aura and the culture around these players. I, I admired that. And I thought, you know, that's a big club. And, and yes, on the one side, they are dominant, but they deserve to be there as well because of how much they put into everything and how when the challenge is there, they always rise to it. Um, Zdru, do you know one of my favourite stories from your time at Red Bull Leipzig that you were telling me was when I think was it the was it the under seventeens coach as we look to wrap up the show? Of course, we've had you for such a, a long time today, but he came in and he said, "Oh, was it something like finishing second is as good as finishing eighth or something?" What was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, second, yeah, second is like finish, finishing eighth, you know. So that pretty much shows that we want, we want to be winning the game. But look, that was that was great. It was look, look, it was a bit, it was a bit of a bit of fun, but um, but definitely there's a winning culture there. So people want to win, and and and, um, and that breeds also that kind of toughness that you need. So. Um, yeah, it was definitely interesting times. I learned a lot. Oh, I just loved how competitive the culture is. You know, you've got a guy that's coming in as a part of an under-17 setup um, and, and, and saying that to the group. I think it's important and it's something that there are examples of where we could learn to try and adapt that competitive culture here uh, to our youngsters in Australia. Zdril, it has been such a pleasure to see you, our old and dearest friend here at the World Game. You're so missed. You're so loved. We're so proud of everything that you're there and we're so grateful that you of course made the um the time to chat to us we've kept you for long enough of course it's what is it um pretty much 11 16 at night over in chicago so you need to go and I, get your beauty i do have one more question one oh, more question do? i have to ask i have to ask Hurry up. i've got to go to bed it's from <laughs> it's from uh yanni satsilios he asks question for zrilla if you had to choose an all-time 3v3 tama beach soccer trio who would it be <laughs> Here we go. Oh, geez. That's a tough one. Oh, that's going to take me a little bit of time. It'd be hard to leave out the Trefiro brothers because they've been uh, – and look, Nick, I think you came a long way. I, I, I'll put it this way. Stolich, I gave you the pathway. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's saying uh, the pathway to the 3v3, all-time uh, best, or am I in the all-time best? Three still on the pathway. I'm still, still on, on the pathway. pathway. Right, I'm gonna go down. You know what? Well, I will say this: this, you know, it's really used to organise these beach uh, soccer games in the morning at Tamarama in the afternoon yeah. on the weekends. It was so much fun; we had such a good time. But not only that, the standard of players that were coming down. I mean, you make the point: Trafiro brothers, who both played in the A League, Bimbi played a couple of times. Uh, Tony Popovich played. Spider yeah. occasionally came down. Butzer played, um, Bridgie played. We had Luis Garcia play uh, a couple of times Jason down there. Jason came down. Jason uh, Kleiner, I remember Jason Kleiner when he hit the bar three times and went crazy because we all started laughing at him. That was one of my favorite another, moments. Another competitive guy. Another very competitive. competitive. <laughs> we had um, the Burgess brothers came down as well. Obviously, Max yeah. is now playing for Western United and stuff yeah, like that. Darcy well, huh? doing very well. So it was so amazing that. Yeah, it, it was amazing that just in that little cluster, which was just, you know, yeah. a, a group that Driller did with text messages, we actually had an inc incredible amount of football knowledge going down there. It was an incredible time. It was a lot of fun. I mean, that was, that was something I really, really do miss playing beach soccer. I mean, it was amazing. And also when I retired from football, to actually be able to play at that level on the sand was, was, was uh, really enjoyable. But uh, when we come back, We'll be when I come back to Australia. We're definitely getting a, another game in for sure. And Lucy yeah. can come down as well. Yeah, you know what? I'll come down and commentate it, but I will not question my expert co-com. All right, that's a lesson <laughs> I want to this week. <laughs> just let guys, absolute pleasure to have your company. For those of you that are tuning in today, um, it's always such a delight to have you join us. Uh, we are here every Wednesday, Australian Eastern Standard Time from 1pm. Of course, tomorrow from 1.30, our dedicated A-League program. We've got a massively stacked show. The great Marcos Flores will be joining us. I've got a feature interview with Ufuk Tale that we'll be rolling in for everyone to get a look at. And Western Sydney Wanderers uh, player Simon Cox will also be joining us on the show. Of course, he scored the equaliser against Central 
Coast Mariners the other night. So it'll be good to hear from Coxie and how the Wanderers are travelling as we look to wind down the A-League season's drill. Take care in Chicago. It's been fabulous to have your company. We look forward to watching your career go from strength to strength and we wish you all the very best in the MLS. Take care. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Great talking to you as always. Right. Thanks, Thanks for your company. On behalf of us all here at the World Game, go and enjoy if you are in Sydney this sunshine or wherever you are across the country. Make sure you're staying safe and taking care of one another. But on behalf of myself, Stolich, Driller, and the entire team, it's goodbye for now. See ya.